0: Jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spy it's Forever, suede nature. Suede nature. Suede nature. Suede nature. Thing. Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hoo, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post apocalyptic skills episode 230 practice steaks and ramen yarn friday august 30th 2019 i'm your host sarah you can find me on social media as sarah pomegranate each time i record an episode i post show notes photographs and links to things i talk about on my website yarns at yinhu.com. I also post the episode to the Yarns at Hu group on Ravelry, and that's a great place to engage in discussion or ask questions if you have them. I support this podcast through sales of my knitting patterns. They are for sale on Ravelry, and there are lots of different choices to treat yourself or a friend, and the dollars you spend help me to make the purchases necessary to put this podcast together. And it comes out about two times each month. I have a new pattern for socks in the works, and I'm currently looking for some test netters. This will be my first sock design that comes in 56, 64, and 72 stitch cast on. It features a bit of a lacy design up the front, It's not super feminine lace, it's pretty sturdy lace and a little cable on the back and a little bit of a different gusset than I have used in the past. So if you have interest in test knitting that design, it's called Forest Floor. Uh, You can contact me via Instagram or Ravelry message and let me know and also let me know what stitch count sock you are most interested in knitting some folks who have contacted me already have said they're flexible which is great currently this pattern is with tech editor ellen silva and when she returns it it will be ready to go to test knitters but it's definitely a an autumnal pattern so i want to get it out sometime this fall In news and events, the bathroom project is still a work in progress, but we are at the final stretch. Work has slowed down a little bit on the project because Samuel and I are both back to teaching, so we don't have quite as much time to dedicate, but this Labor Day weekend, we're going to make our final massive push, and hopefully after that, it will be... Little things that need to get done that we could, you know, devote a few hours here and there. Uh, We're very, very pleased with the progress. The transformation is kind of unbelievable. And we've been able to carry out a lot of the vision that we had, uh, including installing a piece of antique Chinese furniture as the base for our sink, uh, and we also did a lot of tile work, uh, which we have never done before. <laughs> so we have tile on the floor and tile in the shower, and um, we're really pleased with the way that turned out. Um, someone at work asked me, so how do you feel? And I, I feel accomplished and smart and really capable having been able to do this difficult um, and time-consuming work on our home this summer. It's certainly the most extensive um, project that we have had a hand in to date, and um, I think it really increases the enjoyability and also the value of our home. So, yeah, it, it will feel really good when it's done. <laughs> but uh, for now, we're just keep plugging along. In terms of events, I plan to attend the New Jersey Sheep Breeders Sheep and Fiber Festival at the Hunterdon County Fairgrounds in Lambertville, well, outside of Lambertville, New Jersey, on Saturday, September 7th. I had been wavering back and forth in terms of plans for that weekend. It's always a busy one, but I think I will be able to attend. So if you will be there and you have any interest in meeting up, please let me know. I would love to see you. Uh, It's quite a small festival and pretty easy to navigate. It's been a few years since I've been there. It's grown a lot. Uh, I haven't taken too much of a look at the vendor list, but um, it will be great to get out, (laughs) uh, to get the fall season off to a start with the Fiber Festival and to see you if you'll be there. So message me if you'd like to meet up. I mentioned in the last episode that I have some classes coming up at Hope's Favorite Things. I'll be teaching a suspended spindle class in October and a tubular cast-on and bind-off class in November. So check out the website or... Um, Facebook page of Hope's Favorite Things for more information, and to sign up. Finally, Yarns at Yenhoo listeners are invited to participate in the Marie Wallen Knit Along that's been ongoing since spring and continues through mid-October. I am co-hosting this knit along with fellow podcasters from the Woolly Thistle podcast, Fiber Check and Fiber Town, we are encouraging everyone to knit up a beautiful design by Marie Wallen. There are lots of choices from complicated sweaters and cardigans to really ideal for a first fair isle project like a cowl that's knit in the round and then seamed that can also be a great canvas for lots of leftover yarn, scrap yarn that you may have to compile into a project. Hashtag Marie Wallen K-A-L and hashtag Wallen Along are great to follow on social media and to see these beautiful projects emerging, see everyone's color choices. I'll be talking about my own entry uh, into this knit along in a little bit later in the episode, but I encourage you to join in and uh, knit some Marie Wallen, beautiful Fair Isle designs. On the porch, I am currently working on three projects and dreaming about others. One recent cast on is a pair of socks in... Beautiful yarn from Knit Spin Farm. It's a tartarhi sock base, and the self striping colorway is Common Tater. It has uh, incredibly rich and vibrant colors that are inspired by different potato varieties that Joanna grows on her farm in Indiana. So far, it's just been a 2 by 2 rib, and knitting in the round. I'm not sure about the heel I'm going to use. I was thinking about a Vanilla is the New Black sock heel uh, or maybe experimenting with some other as-yet-untried sock heels. These will be gifts, gift socks, uh, and I plan to knit up a few pairs before the holiday season so that I can give them to very deserving family members. I've also been knitting on Morning Fog. That's a cowl design by Yuko Shimizu. The pattern recommends DK weight yarn and US size 7 needles. I am using some hand spun that's more of a sport weight. And I have cast on with US size 5 needles and i think i added some stitches to the cast on this is mostly a ribbed cowl but occasionally there are a few different kinds of rib stitches that are used and i am just to the point past where i've made an increase in the number of stitches so that the cowl is a little closer around the neck and then drapes pretty beautifully around the the collar area, and then it is finished off with fringe, which looks very trendy and fetching. And I also think this cowl will be a gift for the holidays. It's great fun to knit, and it's a great take along project because most of it's just two by two rib and very easy to execute in all kinds of social situations. So I'm having a lot of fun knitting with that and knitting again with beautiful hand spun. It's a lot of fun. It's really soft and drapey uh, and I'm just really enjoying this quite a bit. Recently I have devoted a lot of time to working on Yell. It's an all-over Fair Isle colorwork cardigan design by Marie Wallen. It's my entry into the Marie Wallen Cal. Since recording the last episode, I have completed the colorwork motif knitting of the body and needed to think about the technique that I would use to seam up the shoulders. Traditionally, these types of cardigans require some working the colorwork design flat and then seaming up. And this was a concern to me because I have not purled in stranded color work or knit a design back and forth as opposed to in the round, and I didn't want any unnecessary changes to my tension, especially at the shoulder area. Emily of the Fibertown Podcast mentioned a tutorial by the Feral Knitter for shoulder shaping in the round and i used this technique and i'm completely a convert and really enthusiastic about what the feral knitter describes in her tutorial i will link it in the show notes i have linked it on my ravelry project page for yell it involves continuing the pattern. knitting in the round, and doing a kind of short row shaping, and then using a three-needle bind-off. I did mine from the inside of the sweater because I didn't want the bind-off to show. She mentions doing some kind of decorative bind-off, but that didn't appeal to me. I just I just wanted Marie Wallen's beautiful motifs to show on the outside of the pattern. So I used the stitch counts for the short rows that were suggested in Yell's pattern. I could tell by the directions what the short rows should be like, but in the Feral Knitter's tutorial, she shows you how to take your stitch count and then take your like depth of rise for the shoulders and calculate. Uh, where your short rows shaping should be. What initially seemed like a really complicated thing to do ended up being pretty straightforward and simple, and I'm really pleased with the results I got on seaming up the shoulders. So then it was time to think about the steaks, and I was able to practice steaking. On a poncho that I almost frogged. I frogged some projects and reclaimed the yarn a few weekends ago. And this poncho that I had created at the Fibercraft Studio with all hand-spun, botanically dyed yarn was almost in that frog pile. But I kept it and I'm really glad I did because I was able to insert some sneaks on either side practice steeking and make a much more wearable uh, garment in the process because the poncho that I had was sort of feeling like a straight jacket and I wasn't really wearing it even though I love the yarn, I love the color color that I achieved and I love the drape of this piece but the steeks have really added something. I also practice a sandwich steaking technique whereby this the cut uh, edge of the fabric is enclosed or sandwiched into a decorative binding at the edge. And it's something that I was auditioning for Yell because I've seen it used on someone else's project page. And I'm thinking about it for the front border of that sweater. I found the Steak Sandwich a little bit bulky. Um, Of course, I was using very different yarn, hand-spun yarn on my poncho. But it's a consideration that I have for Yell. Uh, I decided not to Steak the front first. And instead I went to the shoulder seams where I had added stitches and inserted a place for a steek. I secured all of that with crochet stitches and then I made my cut and I picked up stitches for the sleeves of Yell. And it worked extremely well. Nothing felt like it was escaping I could see what I was supposed to be doing pretty clearly, um, and I am currently working on the first sleeve. The patterning is going very quickly because I'm doing the same motif that I was doing all around the body of this oversized sweater, and now I'm just going around quite a narrow sleeve. So it's going quickly, and I am reducing stitches every few rounds as I go. I think once I get to that color work part at the bottom of the sleeve, it will really zoom along because I find doing that color work very, very motivating and interesting. So I think September is for the sleeves of Yell and then I'll have a few weeks in October to figure out that front border and whether I want to do a steak sandwich or not. Uh, before I get the sweater, sweater ready to wear to Rhinebeck. I've also been thinking about what to wear with the yellow cardigan, and I'm pretty committed to sewing up a maxi-length version of the Pharaoh dress. I have a beautiful red and black plaid for the skirt, and I'm still waffling about what to use for the top. I know I want it to be black. I ordered black cotton flannel, It's Robert Kaufman, and it's a little bit thicker than I expected it to be. Uh, And yet I'm not sure about using something other than flannel. Uh, So I'm going to do a little bit more thinking about that, and I think I will also enlist mom's help with pattern matching on that flannel because I'm a little nervous about that for the skirt. But I think if it's done right, it will look really good. And it will imitate some of the styling that Marie Wallen uses in her beautiful books. And um, I think made sleeveless, that will be a really wearable piece. So once again, the patterns that I mentioned in this segment are Morning Fog by Yuko Shimizu and Yell by Marie Wallen. I mentioned having a little look through of my closet and my projects and it was nice to kind of take stock in knitting plans and how far I've come and what's still on the horizon for this year. I looked back over my make nine plans and found that I had really committed to three of the nine projects that I mentioned. Uh, one was Nimue, which I completed much earlier in the year. That had been on my list. I also spun yarn for three-ply 2 weight socks. And I do intend to knit those by the end of 2019. And I'm committed, of course, to the Yell cardigan, which was on my list. I have used yarn that I intended for other projects. So I had some things that didn't work out. I had some projects where I changed my mind about what I wanted, but I did use up yarn that I had intended for those projects. So that's really great. Um, and there are a number of things still on my list, including the Sea Change by Jennifer Steingass. That's a colorwork yoke sweater, and I have beautiful Icelandic yarn purchased for that. I also plan to knit Hildebear by Fiber Tales. This is a gorgeous, uh, large shawl in fingering weight yarn, and I have yarn for that project. I usually knit a shawl in January, so it may be that I just cast on that project in December and finish in the new year. I like to start the new year by knitting a shawl. And then, of course, a lot of other things have popped onto my list, including a a vest by Yuko Shimizu. I'm knitting her morning fog cowl right now. But I was perusing her pattern page and just really fell in love with a vest pattern with smocking called Hildemore. It's knit in Aran weight yarn, I do not have the yarn for this project. But I think it will be yarn worth seeking out during the fall festival season. So if I want to focus my shopping, that could be something that I look for. It's just really a darling design. Um, I think the look of it is so fresh and contemporary, but it could be really interesting knit with um, a yarn that has a lot of character to it. Um, Maybe something in natural colors. I don't know, but I'm kind of obsessed. I told Mary Beth, I'm obsessed. (laughs) And then she gifted me the pattern, which was so kind. So Hildemore by Yuko Shimizu. That is definitely on my horizon. I also have beautiful yarn to knit Heathrow by Marie Green. Um, Bianca by Michio. And yarn for another Bryce cardigan by Hannah Fettig. And I think those last three are items which will, you know, get a lot of wear. They kind of, they're not super high on design. They're more about wearability. And I have the yarn for all of those projects. So they are all definitely on my list too. I think there's something to be said for knitting something like Yell, which is such an investment of time and attention And when my mind wanders, it wanders to like, what am I going to knit next? (laughs) And I start dreaming about, you know, some sort of very simple sweater or something. I unraveled two projects. One was a poncho that I had knit with my Hog Island indigo dyed yarn that just wasn't getting any use. I really think a better fit for that yarn will be another Ursa cropped sweater. I really like the one that I knit um, with yarn from Foster Sheep Farm. And I think maybe another one is in the horizon. It knits up quick and I think the weight of my three ply would be perfect for that. I also unraveled some yarn from Fibercraft Studio that I had knit into a garment that I really have never worn. I think I only wore it one time after I completed it. Uh, It's beautiful botanically dyed yarn. I'm not certain of the yardage, so I'll have to do some measuring and weighing to kind of make a guess at how much I have. Um, but it's enough for maybe a shrug or certainly an accessory type project. And I'd really like to see that yarn put to better use. So that felt good. And it was also a good call um, not to unravel that poncho, which I ended up steaking. So it was a good, it was a good fall clean out and an assessment of uh, what I would like to go into my wardrobe. And what I'm really getting use from. In my last episode, I mentioned feeling a little uncertain about how to handle singles that I had spun on a Turkish spindle, and by the time I end up working with them and plying them, some of them may have been sitting around for quite a while. I got some great feedback, which I would like to share uh, because it seems like quite a few people were interested in this topic or may even find themselves in the same boat. So the first person to reply was Kent of Kent, who made an Instagram post and said, I heard your dilemma about aging languid singles and plying. This has happened to me as well. My advice would be to ply some of the fresh singles to ascertain the amount of twist needed to balance the finished yarn. Then use that same amount of twist or twist angle on the old relaxed singles that have been spun in the same manner. Once the old singles are plied and set, washed or steamed the twist will be reactivated and it should be fine that's really great advice to give it a try test some out pa Nitwit commented on the ravelry thread and said i haven't accumulated singles and let them sit the way you have so i can't say anything about twist from experience but i can foresee an issue in the difference in active twist Because I mentioned spinning uh, a braid of fiber as one um, singles for a two-ply and then adding in all of these little turtles from Turkish spindles as the second ply in a two-ply. So she says, I can foresee an issue in the difference in active twist you'll likely experience when you ply. Something you might consider is running the spindle spun singles quickly through the wheel and onto a bobbin. This will not only add a bit of twist, but you can also get the singles connected and in one place. Very smart. Which might make plying a little smoother because you won't be stopping to add in another batch so often. So that's great, I think maybe combining those two ideas. So first, kind of figuring how much twist will it take and then use having an idea of that when I put all of the spindles onto one bobbin, making it much easier to ply. And twin set Ellen has recently chimed in with, You may wish to do a tiny bit of sampling off the spindle wheel to see how much twist those singles need to balance the fresh yarn, similar to Kent of Kent. All you need to do is pull off 30 centimeters or so of the rested singles, the same for the fresh, and tie overhand knots each end to keep the ends together. Then float them on or in a sink full of warm water with a drop or two of wool wash in it. It's fun to watch the two plies dance together as the new one regains the memory and freshens its twist. When they are well wetted, pull the yarn out, blot it on a towel, and hang it by one end, straightening any inadvertent kinks that may have formed. Sometimes here I'll give... A bit of a twist in the ply direction, but then I let it hang and dry and twist or untwist to the point it wants. And there is your balanced yarn to match when you ply, using the rest of the turtle as is. Plying with well-rested singles is a joy. They don't jump around and ply into pigtails. Isn't that a clever design, sort of using a soaking technique to see... What those singles will really amount to, and then having that information to take into your plying situation. Great, great advice! Thank you so much for chiming in, and thank you to everyone who makes comments after I post podcast episodes and keeps in touch. It's this podcast wouldn't continue to happen if listeners weren't engaged uh, because it's a very lonely one-sided enterprise unless there's some reciprocation and I really get a lot of um, warm feelings and camaraderie also really smart and wonderful ideas from listeners so thank you thank you if you have written in or shared something or sent me a p.m. Please accept my appreciation. And so forth. In my last episode, I mentioned that I had a sewing project on the horizon, which was to sew the wide leg pants tutorial by Cal Patch. That's available on Creative Bug. And I have done that, and I have nearly completed pants, I have not determined that length of these pants, so I haven't done the bottom hem, but everything else is done, and I even sent them to be laundered Uh, again. uh, Of course, I laundered the fabric prior to sewing with it, but I laundered the pants to see if it made any difference in the fit, Um, just getting them a little more relaxed. And I think it has. I think that the fabric has kind of like shifted into place in terms of the seams and they are a little bit more comfortable um, and come together a little bit more as a pattern after that first laundering. So Cal Patch is a wonderful teacher. I have taken Classes from her both online before and in person and her calm demeanor and extreme confidence and know-how I think are her best assets because she really puts the student at ease. This is how it's going to go. These are the things you should think about. Uh, Do this step. Do this next step. Watch out for this. Uh, all in, you know, a very calm and consistent delivery, and I think that sets a sewist, especially a new sewist, at ease. And I think she's chosen here a really versatile, wearable garment. And certainly learning how to draft your own pants involves a lot of measurements and math and things that could be incredibly intimidating and she puts them forth in a way that uh, you feel like you can do it and then you do it. So to me, the most valuable part was transforming the measurements to drafting paper and creating that pattern. I don't think my pattern is perfect. I think it's going to take a few tweaks before I get something that I really like but I did end up with a wearable pair of wide leg pants. Um, she goes beyond pants to adding pockets of your own design and that's where I tripped up a little bit. And I think my previous experience was actually hindering me because I shaped my pocket more like the pocket I created in her skirt class. And pants pockets often have like a more flat opening. And I saw her doing that, but I didn't shape my pocket like that. So the pockets kind of gape a little bit. They're very comfortable to stand there with my hands in them when I have the pants on. But I don't love the way they look um, when I don't have my hands in the pockets. And I don't love what they do when I sit down. Uh, I think a narrower opening would definitely be more flattering, especially when seated. The other thing is that I think um, the depth of my rise um, needs to shift a little bit and I'm not sure how. So I'm gonna wear these pants for a while and kind of think about some drafting changes that I'd like to make before trying another pair. Another thing I did that was different from what was suggested in the tutorial was I used a two inch waistband instead of a one inch waistband. I'm glad I did that because in a way it compensated for, um, the depth of rise. Cause I do have like a higher pant overall because of that waistband. Um, so I'm glad I did it in this case, but I think what I would like to do is change the rise depth and then maybe modify to a one inch or one and a half inch elastic waistband. Um, Throughout, I thought the step-by-step instructions were edited in a way that let me follow them easily and things that could have been um, like mistakes I could have made or roadblocks or something were mentioned like in a very timely fashion before I was about to make that mistake or before I was about to overlook that thing so in that way the directions and editing were awesome. The great drawback to this video tutorial I, in my mind is that there are no specific instructions for cutting the fabric once you create the pattern and for intermediate or experienced sewists I don't think that's a problem. I mean everyone's slapped their pattern onto fabric and cut it before but this type of garment an elastic waist trouser to me is something that would appeal most to a beginning sewist and they are the type of person who would need a little more direction in putting that pattern down on fabric and cutting it out I think it also would have been helpful to get some tips about, okay, now that you've made your pattern, how do you figure out how much fabric you will need? Um, because a smaller size and a wider width fabric, you may be able to turn in both salvages and get your two pant legs out of that same piece of fabric. But if you have narrower fabric or if you have a larger size pant, you may need to, you know, line them up, which ends up taking quite a bit of fabric. So I think fabric is like a great motivating factor for a project. So it's unlikely someone would just, you know, make the um, pattern and then not be thinking about the fabric needed to cut them out and a a little bit of direction in that regard would have gone a long way. In addition to all the instruction that Calpatch Patch provides for drafting the pants pattern there is an incredibly useful worksheet for taking your measurements and then Figuring out specific aspects of the pattern, and she refers to that throughout during her drafting. So I found that very useful, and because I intend to try this again and to improve the design, I will certainly go back to that worksheet as the basis for changing my pattern. Um. I really enjoy creative bug classes. I've taken quite a few and I've learned a lot. Um, I think they're more in-depth and more informative than just a YouTube video on a topic. And Patch is certainly one of my very favorite teachers on this platform because her manner and her delivery... Um, is so conducive to my experience as a sewist. So I can recommend the Wide Leg Pants Tutorial by Cal Patch that is found on Creative Bug. For Off the Shelf Today, I'm sharing a poem titled Finding the Scarf. It's great to find references to textiles in poetry. It's kind of a new hobby of mine. (laughs) And I discovered Wyatt Townley on the Poetry Foundation website. She only has this one poem there. Her um, books include books of poetry, but she also writes about yoga and dance, She's a Midwestern poet and certainly someone I'd I'd like to find out more about and maybe read more of her work in the future. But for now, this is Finding the Scarf by Wyatt Townley. The woods are the book we read over and over as children. Now trees lie at angles, felled by lightning, torn by tornadoes, silvered trunks turning back to earth. Late November light slants through the oaks as our small parade, father, mother, child, shushes along, the wind searching treetops for the last leaf. Childhood lies on the forest floor, not evergreen, but oaken, Its branches latched to a graying sky. Here is the scarf we left years ago like a bookmark, meaning to return the next day, having just turned our heads toward a noise in the bushes, toward the dinner bell in the distance, toward what we knew and did not know we knew in the spreading twilight that returns changed to a changed place.